Book three, chapter thirteen of Strangers and Pilgrims by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Strangers and Pilgrims, Book three, chapter thirteen. Hast thou no care of me? Shall I abide in this dull world which in thy absence is no better than a sty? Tonga Tabu and Tahiti, or the Tonga Tabu and Tahiti of the day, had to wait the return of their pastor. Savage chieftains, holding counsel in the domestic seclusion of their matting with their wives and families, could but lament the absence of that white-skinned teacher whom at his first coming they had been disposed to treat as a god. That autumn tide did not see Malcolm Ford's return to the South Sea Islands. For a little while, at least, even duty must be in abeyance. His place must wait for him. The society for which he had worked knew him well enough to know that he was thoroughly in earnest, that he would return in due time and complete the labour he had begun and widen the area of his labours and faint not until death should say to him, Thus far and no farther shalt thou journey, O pilgrim and messenger. Meanwhile, he stayed in England to do something very near his heart, to watch and pray for the woman he loved, and whom, as it seemed, all the world except himself had abandoned to bitterest fate. But for him, Gertrude Luttrell would have yielded helplessly, nervelessly, almost placidly, to the force of circumstances, would have meekly accepted the fact that her sister had been transferred to a lunatic asylum as a melancholy necessity against which there could be no appeal, beyond which there could be but the smallest margin for hope. But Malcolm Ford was not inclined to take things so patiently. He came straightway to London with Miss Luttrell, saw Mrs. Chevenix, whose malady, a chronic neuralgia, seemed hardly so severe or tangible an affliction as to justify her refusal to come to her niece's rescue, and who in this sad crisis of her favourite niece's life had little help of any kind to offer, and seemed chiefly tormented by a melancholy foreboding that it, meaning Elizabeth's madness, would get into the papers. "'Oh, everything does get into the papers sooner or later,' she said despondently. "'I'm sure there's no such thing as the sanctity of private life for people of position.' I shall never take up my morning post without a shudder from this time forward. Had we not better think of how we are to save your niece from the anguish of her present situation, rather than of keeping the fact out of the morning post, said Mr. Ford? It might be necessary even for us to appeal to the press for help, if we found no other way of rescuing her. Oh, Mr. Ford! moaned Mrs. Chevenix, applying herself mechanically to her scent-bottle. "'Oh, don't pray talk about the anguish of her situation. We have no reason to suppose that she's unhappy. With my nephew Lord Paulyn's splendid income, she would, of course, be sure of the very highest form of treatment, every advantage which wealth could provide. "'We will take that for granted, if you like.' but she is in the hands of strangers, and even her sister does not know where or with whom. The fitful fever of the brain which succeeded fever of the body has been set down as madness, 
and in that state of mental exaltation every sense intensified her capacity for suffering increased twentyfold she has been handed over to strangers whose interest will be best served by her permanent estrangement say that they are conscientious and will do their best to cure her will the best they can do counterbalance the horror of that sudden removal to an entirely strange place and the banishment of every human creature and every object with which she was familiar is not such a shock eminently calculated to turn temporary hallucination into lifelong madness i am almost distracted when i think of what's been done cried malcolm starting from his chair and pacing the eaton place drawing-room the room which seemed destined only to witness his misery mrs chevenix sighed and again sought relief from the scent-bottle first from one end and then the other as if in aromatic vinegar there might lurk a virtue that was not in sal volatile the first thing to be done said malcolm coming to a standstill by the writing-table at which gertrude sat helpless those perpetual tears standing in her eyes she had done nothing but shed those two slow languid tears since she left slognadiac as if having produced these silent evidences of feeling she had done her duty to her sister the first thing to be done is for miss luttrell to write to lord paulyn requesting to be immediately informed of the place to which her sister has been taken and the people to whom she has been entrusted you had better write the letter in duplicate miss luttrell and address one copy to park lane and the other to slognadiac miss luttrell endeavoured to obey with a sheep-like meekness but finding herself absolutely incapable of framing a sentence mr ford himself dictated the letter which was brief and decisive ending with the formal request be good enough to telegraph an immediate reply it was also at mr ford's suggestion that miss luttrell took up her abode in her aunt's house until such time as she should be better informed about her sister's fate having done this and feeling with supreme pain that there was little more he could do mr ford went to his solicitor in lincoln's inn fields and took counsel with him upon the legal aspect of lady paulyn's position the lawyer's opinion was not particularly cheering elizabeth's husband was her natural guardian with the sanction of the commissioners in lunacy he could place her in whatever licensed establishment he pleased her sisters and her aunt counted for very little in her life no reply to gertrude's letter came in the shape of a telegram but three days after the letter had been sent days of intolerable length for malcolm ford there came a curt scrawl from the viscount informing his dear miss luttrell that lady paulyn had been placed in the care of dr cameron of chesterfield row and heatheridge hall hearts that it was quite impossible she could be in better hands and that having already suffered so much trouble and annoyance from this unhappy event he must request that no further letters might be addressed to him on this subject he was on the point of starting for rome where he meant to winter his native country having become obnoxious to him the letter was full of his lordship's personal grievance and contained not one affectionate or compassionate allusion to his wife it contained however all that malcolm ford wanted to know the name of the doctor and the madhouse 
he made gertrude accompany him to chesterfield row within half an hour of the receipt of the letter he had taken up his quarters for a few days with an old friend in cadogan place in order to be within five minutes walk of mrs chevenix's house and had stipulated that a messenger should bring him immediate tidings of lord paulyn's reply thus it was that so little time was lost between the arrival of the letter and their interview with lady paulyn's physician dr cameron was kindness itself smiled his sweet smile upon gertrude and her clerical friend and pledged himself to do all that he could do in reason but really what you ask for mr mr ford with a glance at the cards that had been sent in to him is quite out of the question i can perfectly understand miss luttrell's natural desire to see her sister but an interview in the present stage of affairs is simply impossible yet is it not possible dr cameron that the sight of someone whom she has known and loved all her life a familiar home face bringing back old memories might strike a chord oh my dear sir exclaimed the doctor in his blandest way that is the very thing we want to avoid there must be no chords struck yet awhile the instrument is not strong enough to bear the shock it is all very well on the stage or in a novel we are told to believe that a favourite melody is played a familiar face is seen and the patient gives a shriek and recovers his senses in a moment on the spot my dear sir there is no such thing possible mental aberration without positive change in the condition of the brain is a thing of the rarest occurrence we have to cure the brain which we can neither see nor handle just as we set a broken arm which we can do what we like with and the first and most essential step towards recovery is repose absolute rest you will understand therefore my dear miss luttrell why i am compelled to forbid any intrusion upon the tranquil solitude in which our dear patient is now placed how soon may i see her asked gertrude oh that is a question beyond my power to answer all must depend upon her progress toward recovery if she recovers which i trust which i venture to say i believe she ultimately will i shall be happy to let you see her directly i find her mind strong enough to bear the emotion that must be caused by such a meeting i will not ask you to wait till she is really well for naturally that will be an affair of time and at the best rather a long time but as soon as the brain begins to regain its balance concurrently with the return of bodily strength you shall be allowed to see her lord paulyn who is naturally as anxious as yourself has resigned himself to the inevitable and submits to my judgment in this sad affair <laughs> he is so far resigned said mr ford with some touch of bitterness that he contemplates going abroad and putting the channel between himself and his afflicted wife oh a step i myself recommended replied dr cameron lord paulyn has been rather severely shaken by this business and as he is of an excitable temperament the consequences to himself might not be without peril 
the conversation lasted some time longer mr forde was not easily satisfied he tried to obtain some definite expression of the physician's opinion but physicians are not given to definite opinions dr cameron seesawed the matter in his most delicate way said all that was kind about lady paulyn persuaded miss luttrell that the best thing she could possibly do would be to go back to devonshire and there quietly wait for tidings of her sister's recovery and then politely dismissed his visitors who had really usurped a good deal of his valuable morning while patients with fees neatly papered in their waistcoat pockets were yawning over a three weeks old illustrated london news or a year old quarterly gertrude left chesterfield row sorely dejected in mind and disposed to take the doctor's advice and go straight back to the little house in the boroughbridge road where bright fenders and fire-irons and polished tables would be going to rack and ruin in the absence of her supervising eyes she of old so strong-minded seemed to have become the weakest and most helpless of womankind it isn't as if i could be of any good to elizabeth she said if i could help her in any way i shouldn't care what sacrifices i made but dr cameron says i may have to wait for months before he can let me see her and what will become of the house all that time with only diana and blanche who have no more idea of looking after things than if they were infants we shall all be ruined if i don't go back soon and when you're gone back if your sister were dying and dr cameron at the last moment awoke to the idea that she should have someone near her whom she loved you will be in devonshire too far to be summoned in time to be of any use but she's not going to die cried gertrude with a frightened look dr cameron said nothing about her dying not directly but he said she was in a very weak state of health and a physician seldom says quite all he means i have seen her remember and the change i saw in her was enough to put sad forebodings in my mind oh god to think of her alone in a madhouse he cried with a little burst of passion brightest creature that ever lived upon this earth but they will take the utmost care of her said gertrude tremulously and with a faint pang of envy envying elizabeth even now because malcolm forde had loved her still loved her perhaps for was not this keen anxiety more than simple christian charity dr cameron told us that and she will have every comfort every luxury a carriage at her disposal when she's well enough to use it every comfort every luxury do you think your sister cares for comforts and luxuries in a prison her proud free spirit might have found happiness on a desert island bondage has strangled it the bondage of a fatal marriage and now the bondage of a madhouse gertrude when i think of the past i'm almost mad if i had not been the proudest fool that ever lived all this might have been prevented oh, my darling he murmured softly that bright mind should never have gone astray had i the keeping of it he grew calmer presently and discussed things quietly with gertrude who shamed out of her small worldliness by his deeper feeling agreed to remain in eaton place so long as aunt chevenix would shelter her there 
or if need were to take a modest lodging nearer her sister's prison-house and to let fenders fire-irons and even the family tea-kettle enfolded in baize and cunningly secreted under the best bed take care of themselves end of book three chapter thirteen